This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. As we continue in our series in the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke, we understand that Jesus is continuing to have conversations with crowds, but also private conversation with his disciples, and sometimes the, the crowds and the disciples are mingled together, and he, uh, he speaks on several different levels. This is a wonderful passage that, of uh, a parable that we have in front of us today. It's filled with uh, challenging uh, interpretations, and it's a great passage, and so let's Follow along as I read for you. I'm looking at Luke chapter 16, the first 13 verses. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for You can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe the master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest man, manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Shall we pray? Father, we confess again this morning that we are truly debtors to your grace. It is not what we have brought to the table. It is not our good works. It is not our righteousness. It is the very fact that you have been loving and gracious and kind to make it possible for us to be restored to our relationship to you who have created us, 
Father, we are so blessed to be on the receiving end of such kindness. And we stand in awe of your greatness and your wonder of your faithfulness to us. We also know, Lord, that because of that, because of our standing with you, we now have a responsibility to be wise stewards of all that you place at our disposal. And as Ed has reminded us already this morning, the time, the talents, the treasure that you allow us to be stewards of are all things that we should take seriously and not fritter away our time, not waste our talents, not, not spend our treasure on ourselves, but seek opportunities with every day that you give us to be a beacon, a light in this dark world, to be a conduit of your love and grace, to be the very hands and feet of Jesus that we might serve one another and serve a very, very dark world. Lord, to that end, we devote ourselves afresh. We're reminded in the hymn that we sang at the beginning of our service, as Martin Luther reminds us, the spirit and the gifts are ours. We have the Holy Spirit who indwells us and empowers us, gives us the ability, the divine enablement to serve you. And we have the gifts, the spiritual gifts that are those abilities and, and so-called talents that when they are used in alignment with your will can accomplish wonderful and great things. And so, Lord, we are stewards of these things. Motivate us to be wise, to be thoughtful, to be creative, to be energized by your spirit, to maximize privilege that we have to be your servants. The time is short. None of us knows how much more time we have on this, on this planet, but each moment is an opportunity to love you and serve you. Lord, our hearts go out to those who are hurting and grieving. We continue to ask your, uh, your, uh, your consolation and encouragement to Evelyn Dracca's family and uh, to Sandy Sobadash's family. Just continue to support them and encourage them as they grieve, grieve the loss of their loved ones. Father, we lift up Nancy Bene, whom we have heard is in the hospital overnight. We just pray that you'd give the doctors wisdom and understanding and that, of course, your healing hand would be, would be strong. And, of course, Lord, for all others who are just in need of a reminder of your grace and goodness, may they find encouragement from you. Now, Lord, speak through your servant today as Aaron shares the message. May it speak to our hearts and minds. May you separate the chaff from the wheat. Cause your Holy Spirit to descend upon this place and to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. I don't know if you've heard, but there was a class was full of rebels that a particular teacher had, and she knew that they were always up to no good. She 
kept her mind sharp. She always looked for just trying to find ways to catch them in their nonsense. It just so happened one particular day when she passed out a quiz that she finally caught one of the rebels. She caught him cheating. She sent him out of the office, or out, down to the office, out of the classroom, down to see the principal. And she thought this is a great moment to sit down with the students and help them understand the importance of being a good student. So she asked the class in a very stoic fashion, what have you learned from all this? To which one of the children in the back shouted out, not to get caught. There's always something to be learned, isn't there? Even from the worst of cases and situations. And in this particular story that we're given today, we may be scratching our head and saying, what was Jesus commending? What was Jesus encouraging? A little background just to remind you that Jesus is on his way to the cross. And Jesus is on his way to die for sin. Jesus has healed the sick. Jesus has been a friend to sinners. And Jesus has taught as one with authority. Jesus specifically has taught in parables. Last week, we saw three parables in which Jesus communicated his message to the masses. But now in chapter 16, we're told in the very first few words that Jesus spoke specifically to the disciples. That doesn't mean that the crowds weren't around, but Jesus' message here was aimed at those who were his. We're told that in this story, there was a rich man who had great wealth. And this rich man had a manager who oversaw his estate. Now, you don't get very far into Jesus' story before you realize that this manager was not a good person. That this manager was wasteful. He wasted the possessions of the rich man. And eventually... He himself was caught. Charges were brought against him, and the manager was fired. This manager, realizing his fate, we're told by Jesus, thought to himself, what will I do? There's a great problem now. What will I do to care for myself? His cushy office job made him too weak to dig ditches. His pride was too strong to allow him to beg. And so he came up with a plan, a plan which allowed him to be liked and welcomed. This plan included all of those who had debt to his master. We're told in the text is that he actually slashed the debt. In fact, one case where a man owed 100 measures of oil, his debt was slashed to 50. To another who owed 100, his measures of wheat, was slashed down to 80. Why did the manager do such a thing? In the hopes of making friends, in the hopes of being welcomed, that one day he could stay in their house and be safe. What's so astounding as we read the pages and the words of Luke 16 is that Jesus tells us this dishonest manager was honored. He was honored by the very one whom he was dishonest to. 
And as you begin to read those words that Jesus is commending the dishonest manager, you begin to ask yourself, why? How could this be that our Lord would commend one who is doing dishonest things? Friends, I draw your attention to a particular word that Jesus uses. Shrewd. The shrewdness of the dishonest manager. As you look at this, one of the things you begin to wonder is how was he shrewd? Was he shrewd because he cut the debtor's debt in half in some cases? Or was he shrewd because he was willing to pay out of his own account and make the difference up in the hopes that he was building friendships? Or maybe he simply was limiting his own commission, which as a manager, he would be entitled to. We don't know the specifics of what he did. Jesus didn't tell us that. But what we are told is that he was shrewd. And in the action of the shrewdness, he sought worldly acceptance. And Jesus commends him for it. It forces us to ask the question, what was Jesus really saying? Well, first of all, we deal with what Jesus did not say. The main question that arises from this text is, was Jesus commending dishonesty? No. Jesus would never commend dishonesty. Why, you may ask. Well, if Jesus being God, God being holy, God can have nothing to do with sin. Just listen to a few verses that describe this. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says, in him there is no sin. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, we're told, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or how about 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, where it says, you shall be holy for I am holy. Again and again and again in scripture, we're reminded of the holiness of God, the purity of God. And Jesus being God could therefore not commend dishonesty. Jesus cannot commend sin. And yet we see Jesus doing something in our text, don't we? We see him commending something of this worldly manager. It's shrewdness. Shrewdness is an interesting word for us because often what comes to mind is trickery or one who's dangerous and we need to beware because they're shrewd. But the word shrewd literally means cunning, yes, but it also means wise, clever, sharp. And it's these aspects that Jesus is commending to his disciples. So while Jesus commended the shrewdness, the cleverness of this manager, understand he at no time is ever commending the sinful, dishonest actions of this manager. Friends, we must have a firm grasp of this. For if not, we may fall prey to excusing sin in our own lives or the lives of others. We must understand that Jesus never and neither can his church ever excuse sin. Yet we are called to be shrewd. 
We've been told in Ephesians 5, verse 11, we're to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather we've been called as the church to expose them. We as a church have a responsibility to understand the difference between shrewdness and sinfulness. So I ask us as we impart upon this journey, as we begin to walk through these words of Christ, Do we understand that as followers of Jesus, first of all, there is something that can be learned from those people, those people even in the world. It seems that Jesus is commending his disciples to look around, to take notice, even of a manager with worldly intentions. And yet Jesus never commends his sin. That's what Jesus was making very clear. So what did Jesus say? Jesus says very clearly in our text that he's commending the shrewdness of the worldly manager. Look at verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. It says it very point blank, very clearly. In fact, Jesus points out that this worldly manager's shrewdness is in contrast to the disciples. Look what he says at the end of verse 8. He says, the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The world is more shrewd than the Christian. And many of us may say, of course, we're not cheats, we're not dishonest, we're not sinners, we're not not supposed to be taking part in those wrongful actions. And yet again, I draw you to the word shrewd. Jesus is commending shrewdness. What Jesus is ultimately saying is that the sons of light have something to learn from the sons of the world. What is it? It's shrewdness. Forces us to ask the question, why? Why would Jesus be commending shrewdness now? Why would Jesus be commending shrewdness, this cunning, this wisdom, this craftiness now? as he's on his way to the cross. Could it be because Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for what was coming? Let me draw a a parallel to you. Early in Jesus' ministry, back in Luke chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus tells his disciples this as he sends them out. He says, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, or even a change of clothes. Jesus was at the height of his popularity in Luke chapter 9. Jesus was well received everywhere he went. And he was telling his disciples, they need not take anything with them. Yet later, as we would see later in Luke, Luke chapter 22, in fact, Jesus changes his instructions. Listen to what he says. But now, if you have a purse, take it with you. Also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. What marks the difference? What marks the change? It was the cross, the rejection, the hostility to Jesus that his disciples would face. Was Jesus here in this parable preparing his disciples, stressing shrewdness that they needed to survive and to live in a wicked world? Possibly. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you 
as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I draw your attention to the comparison. Be wise as serpents. Be shrewd. Be cunning. Be wise. Be intelligent. But don't lose the gentleness. Be innocent as doves. Jesus goes on to commend his shrewd, the shrewdness by saying in verse 9 of our text, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. Again, this verse gives us much complexity, much difficulty. What is it that Jesus is calling his disciples to do? He calls them to make friends to make friends through shrewdness, using their resources for eternal benefit. And yet one of the phrases Jesus uses here is unrighteous wealth. That word unrighteous is the same word describing the dishonest manager. Many commentators have wrestled with what specifically Jesus is saying. One thing is clear. The unrighteousness here, the dishonesty here, is a worldly element. And literally what seems to be playing is that Jesus is saying, use the wealth of this age. Use this temporary wealth. Use the worldly wealth around you for good things, eternal things. After all, this earthly wealth will pass away. It will give out. It will cease. And for each of us, that is absolutely true because money will be useless at death. And yet the question is, how have we used it? How have we used the wealth Jesus has given each and every one of us? He points out that they will be received into their eternal dwelling, this eternal home, this idea of heaven. Yet he refers to the they. Many scholars again debate over who is they that is receiving this individual. Many say it's a reference to God as the Jews would often talk about God in the plural, even though he was singular. Or was he referring to the friends? Those friends that you've made, those friends that you've used your wealth for the purpose of eternal value, those who've preceded you in death, those who've benefited from your testimony and your walk in the Lord, those who've been blessed with the use of your wealth, your worldly resources for kingdom business. See, the point is simple, isn't it? In one sense, Jesus is calling us to use our wealth, our worldly wealth for kingdom purposes. It forces us to ask a question to each and every one of ourselves. How have I used my resources for the kingdom? How am I using the resources of time and energy, of relationships, and yes, even of money, for the purpose of the kingdom. How shrewd have we been in our use of these things for kingdom purposes? 
To make his point, Jesus begins to make applications himself. In verse 9, he says, Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. We've already said that means worldly wealth. So that when it fails, you may receive you into eternal dwelling. He's basically saying here, be good stewards. Be shrewd in the use of your time, your energy, your relationships, even your money. Invest in what is most important. Invest in eternal things, not simply temporary things. So again, I ask, how are we using our resources for the eternal? And then Jesus gives a second application. In verses 10 through 12, Jesus says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth or the worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? He seems to be talking with eternal riches. And if you've not been faithful in what that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? That which is your own does flash back to the true riches, the eternal riches. See, the point here that Jesus is making is that we are to be faithful faithful and good stewards of what we have, the little we have or the much we have for the eternal value that it weighs. And so I ask you yet again, how have you been faithful with what God has put you over? Again, looking at our relationships, our time, our energy, our ability, our gifts, yes, and even our money. Finally, Jesus comes in verse 13 to yet another sobering application. He says, no servant can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus' point is abundantly clear. What are you living for? This is what Jesus is asking his disciples as he is approaching death himself. Church, if we are living for the wealth of this world, then we are not living for God. If we are living for God, then we are not living for the wealth of this world. That is Jesus' point. How shrewd are you being for the eternal value is at stake? What are you living for? This world or the next? Church, as we hear Jesus' words in this, it it comes to the surface that Jesus' talk of stewardship, Jesus' talk of, of, of shrewdness does relate to the mission field. And I'm not just talking about in faraway places, but even in our own homes. There's a story of some college friends who were inspired by missionaries. Missionaries such as David Brainerd and William Carey and others. And they sought to reach an unreached people group themselves. After much research near Ecuador, they discovered such a people. There was a man by the name of Nate Saint. He was a missionary supply pilot. And along with him was a college friend by the name of Jim Elliott, along with a few other missionaries. They began to fly over the very people they wanted to reach. They did this religiously. 
And as they flew over, they began to shrewdly drop presents to those very people. Resources. Things that were necessary for themselves, but could be gifts to these people to show a goodwill. They were trying to win the trust of these individuals. That was, after all, their hope. One day, they decided it was a good day to actually land the plane. However, when they landed the plane, shortly thereafter, we were told they were all killed. They were killed by the very people they wanted to reach. Many would say, what a waste. What a waste of young lives. What a waste of resources. What a waste. However, Jim's widow, Elizabeth, would eventually go back to those very same people who killed her husband. She sought to serve them. And by showing love and forgiveness for these people, these people were eventually evangelized with the gospel. Friends, understand her shrewdness was showing love and forgiveness to people who didn't understand that type of forgiveness and love. She understood something the eternal value of her actions. Jim Elliot has a famous quote where he says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me repeat that. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Shrewdness. Shrewdness that each and every one of us needs in our own lives. As we think of the wealth and responsibility of relationships, the abilities and the talents, the energy we still have, how are we investing it? The world is shrewd, but they're shrewd for their own advantage. We are to be shrewd for kingdom, the kingdom of God, the glory of God. We are to see that his name is glorified over all else. Friends, Jesus was the greatest steward. Jesus was shrewd in every regard. He knew when to speak and when not to speak. Jesus knew when to heal and not to heal. Jesus knew when to befriend. Jesus was very clear in all of his actions because Jesus was on mission. Jesus was a good steward. Jesus was a faithful steward. Jesus truly loved his father. Jesus used all of his resources for the kingdom. And that is exactly what Jesus was telling his disciples. He was preparing them for his departure. He was telling them of their need to be about the work of God in a hostile world, that they needed to be shrewd. He told them the story of a shrewd worldly manager who sought to make friends for his own benefit. All the while, Jesus was saying, you have eternal purpose. Jesus was pointing out to the disciples their need to be shrewd in a world that was against them. These Christians would need to be shrewd for eternal gain. And friends, Jesus is calling us to seek and to use our resources for eternal gain, for kingdom work. Jesus reminds us 
in this simple story to be good stewards, to be faithful stewards, to be lovers of God rather than lovers of money. So I ask you, how do we do this? We do this first by having a kingdom mindset. We need to begin to look truly through kingdom lens. We need to see every dollar we have, every hour we are given, every relationship we've been blessed with. We need to see it through a kingdom focus. Again, this doesn't mean that we sin, but that we're shrewd. As one man once said by the name of John Leonard, he said, we need to learn to inconvenience ourselves for the benefit of others. That's being shrewd. It's being calculating that by doing this and serving others, it may win a hearing of the gospel. By using my energy here, it may have eternal return. That was the case for Nate Saint, for Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, and others. The question is, will that be the case for us? Will we be shrewd for the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we step away from this passage, we pray that our hearts would hear the message you have for us. Lord, that we would recognize that we are not being called to be dishonest, but shrewd. Help us to be wise and calculated in the resources you've given us. Help us to invest those things for kingdom reward. Lord, help us to see the value of others, not just in what they can do for us, but how they can glorify you. Draw us to yourselves. Give us a perspective that we don't already have. Give us a mindset and a heart for the kingdom of God. Lord, help us to invest in the things that are eternal rather than temporal. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.